going to put those down on the ground right now and try not to drop them, and then we're going to get into the story this morning. You could turn in your Bibles as I'm doing that to Judges chapter 2 or your storybook Bibles to page 103. Oh, well, Dan, God bless you. Boy, stepping right in the gap there. Wonderful. Wonderful. All right. I think I hit it all. Did I hit it all, Pastor Otto? Great, great. He keeps me sane. All right, so uh, we're really glad to be in week eight of the story, but I have to tell you about a friend of mine because it's a real instructive part of the story this morning. I once had a really good friend who went goth for a month. Do you remember, what, remember goth? I don't, are there still goths? Are there still goths? Okay, I, I don't hang out around high schools. I don't know, but... Uh, but, but when I was in high school, goth was a big thing. You know, you wear the trench coat and the chains, and you wear the black makeup, and, and you know what I'm saying, the long hair. You dye your hair jet black, and, and then you look like, you know, somebody poured mud in your Wheaties, you know, and that's the whole idea of, of, of goth. Well, well, I had a buddy who, who, he, let's put it this way, he was an intellectual. That's a really nice way of saying super nerd. That, that's what he was. And he was just about the funniest guy in, in the entire school. Everybody loved this guy. He was so funny. He was brilliant. He was the type of guy that, that was at the top of every single class. And somehow, some way, one day, he decided he was going to be goth. And we all sort of looked at him, and he came to school wearing his new clothes, and we're like, what? That's not you. Where are the jokes? Where's the happiness? Where's the calculus? We, we didn't know what had happened to our friend. We didn't know what had happened. And it lasted for about a month, but I, I remember that distinctly because he was one of those guys that everybody loved to be around. He just had this winning personality. But even though he had this really cool identity within our school community, it, it wasn't doing it for him. And he sought after some other identity that just wasn't him. Now, we didn't give him too hard a time because we were, we were not in middle school anymore where we would have just roasted him, but we, we, we just let him sort of work through that. But I'll tell you what, when he came back to being himself, it was a fabulous moment. You know, some of the most unhappy people that I have ever met are the ones who are continually seeking after identity that's just not them. They're, they're, they're after some, some form of, of, of self-actualization, some form of, of self-discovery that, that never allows them just to be who God has designed them to be. And the story of Judges is the story of a group of people who had been given a firm identity, a strong identity for God, but for some reason was chasing after something that just wasn't them. And every time they chased after what just wasn't them, things did not go so well for them. Now to bring the story to where we are at today with the land and the leaders in chapter 8, the people of God who have been called out from the, from the foundations with their, with their patriarch named Abraham have come into the land that God has given them. They are, a, they are a massive people group. They have been protected and brought out of slavery in Egypt. They became a large group of people, even though at the beginning they were a very small group of people. God has given them the land, but he gave them a sure identity. And the identity stems back all the way to Genesis chapter 12, or the story chapter 2, where God said to Abraham, I'm going to use your descendants to bless the world, to save the world to bring about redemption to the world. 
God has given them that identity, and he said to them a couple of weeks ago in the story, you're going to be my nation of priests. You're going to represent me to the, to the rest of the world. We talked about the fact that Canaan or Israel is at the crossroads of the ancient world, a perfect place from which to begin to share about the one true God. This is their moment to bless the world, and they go in search of another identity. Page 103, chapter 2, verse 10 of the book of Judges. After the whole generation that had conquered the promised land had been gathered to their ancestors, another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord, and remember, you can insert I am or Yahweh or Jehovah anytime you see the Lord. We talked about that last week. Nor what he had done for Israel. Then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of I am, and they served the Baals. They forsook I am the God of their ancestors who had brought them out of Egypt, and they followed and worshipped various gods of the people around them. They aroused the Lord's anger because they forsook him and served the Baal and the Ashtoreths. So in his anger, the Lord gave them into the hands of the raiders who plundered them. He sold them into the hands of the enemies all around them, who were no longer, and they were no longer able to resist. And whenever Israel went out to fight, the hand of the Lord was against them to defeat them, just as he had sworn to them. They were in great distress. So the Israelites get into the land, and the very next generation, they forget their God. They forget the one who had called Abraham. They forget the one who had helped them to be fruitful and multiply. They forgot the one who had delivered them mightily out of Egypt, who had helped them to cross the Red Sea. They forgot the one who had given them the law, which was not only the the political laws, but the worship of God, the culture that they were supposed to pursue. They, They had forgotten him completely, and they decided that they were going to go in search of an identity that just wasn't theirs. They were going to act like the nations and the Canaanites around them, and they were going to begin to serve those gods. But in the ancient world, when you determined that you were going to serve another god, that also meant that your entire culture, the entire way you did things, Your entire set of morals and values and ethics are going to change. So to to move into this other identity is, is to completely look at God and say, God, I am no longer interested in what you have to offer. I'd like to be like the nations around me. Now, the Baals and the Ashtoreths, that, they, they sadly become a main character throughout the rest of this second half or the first half of the story. Many times Israel decides we want to be like the people around us We're going to forsake this concept of us being the the nation of priests who represents God to the world, and we're going to go ahead and just serve the gods of the people around us, and therefore our morals, our culture, it'll be determined by them. They completely lose who they are. Now, the Baals and the Ashtoreths, they were gods within the pantheon of of the general Sumerian Babylonian gods. They weren't really the highest gods, but they were the ones that the Canaanites had adopted, the ones that, that the people around Israel had adopted. Baal was a storm god because when you live in the ancient Near East, you better hope rain comes off the Mediterranean. You're going to need that. Some of us living in Ohio wish the rains would not come. There you are desirous of the rains. And Ashtoreth, or, or, or the, the descendants, if you will, of Asherah, this was a fertility god. Because at that point in history, having kids is a good thing for the family business. You need to have kids to help you work the land, to help build, build what you're trying to do. Kids are, kids are a financial investment in the other direction. 
Some of you are going, uh, my, my kids have not been a good financial investment today. Uh, <laughs> but, but, but in that day and age, you, you wanted to have as many as you could because those kids would help work your land and they'd help, they'd help look after your livestock. So you wanted to be fertile, and, and you also desired at that point in history to, to have your livestock be fertile. So in essence, what are they saying by serving Baal and Ashtoreth? We're entrusting our future happiness to gods who are not gods. We're entrusting our, our perennial hope in made-up entities and other cultures' dreams instead of serving the God that had called them out to be something different. So what happens? Well, you read it. They lost the Lord's favor. God was very clear throughout the book of Deuteronomy. Listen, I will bless you and I will take care of you. I will look after you. But if you do not pursue the identity that I've laid out for you, I'm going to take my hand of protection away. And the same blessing to be at the crossroads of the ancient world became their curse because lots of other people want to travel through those crossroads of the ancient world. And they want to cause trouble for Israel. See, Israel's existence was always on the point of a knife. Israel's existence was always a fiddler on the roof, if you will. The idea that, that, that God is protecting them from falling off the edge because in their entire existence is wrapped up in who he is and his protection for them. But they lose this identity and they lose that protection. They don't want the identity that God's given them and they seek something new. But God's not done with them. Even though they've gone in a wayward place, God is not through. Look at page 104 or 2.16. Look what the Lord does. And this is the story of the story this week. Then the Lord raised up judges. He, they would save them out of the hands of the raiders that were plundering them, yet they would not listen to those judges, but they prostituted themselves to other gods and worshipped them. They quickly turned from the ways of their ancestors who had been obedient to the Lord's commands. Whenever the Lord raised up a judge for them, he was with the judge. And he saved them out of the hands of their enemies as long as the judge lived. For the Lord relented because of their groaning under those who oppressed and afflicted them. But when the judge died, the people returned to ways even more corrupt than those of their ancestors, following other gods and serving and worshiping them. They refused to give up their evil practices and stubborn ways. This is what is called the cycle of the judges. How many of you have heard that term before? The cycle of the judges, all right? So God's protection is over Israel because he wants them to bless the nations. Israel decides, eh, we're done with you, God. We're going to be like the nations around us. All of a sudden, God's hand of protection is taken off. So they get oppressed from the nations around them because, once again, their existence is on the edge of a knife. They get oppressed. Bad things happen. They cry out to God, help, 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 help. And God sends a Savior each and every time. He sends the Savior, and they kind of serve him while the Savior's alive. The Savior dies, and they rebel against God. And the cycle goes round and round and round again throughout this portion of the story. God would bring them a Savior, and the question is why? Why was God bringing them a Savior? Were they deserving? Did they deserve to have a savior? No, their, their entire relationship with God for 250 years pretty much consists of help. That's it. They're not returning to the Lord and then saying, Lord, we've returned to you, and no matter what comes, we're going to serve you the rest of our days. It's not that at all. It's just help, help, help. 
I, I can tell you there's been times in, in my life in relationship with the Lord that that's the extent of my relationship with God. I'm not doing what he's asking me to do. I, I'm walking in my own way. I'm doing my own thing. And then I get into some trouble. Help, help, help. And that's what the Israel's, Israelites are doing over and over and over again. But each and every time God sends them a savior, it says he relented because he loved them. They were his people. We mentioned it last week in service where Paul says to Timothy, listen, even if we are faithless, he is faithful. He cannot disown himself. When God revealed himself to Moses a number of chapters ago and said, listen, my name is I am that I am. I am existence itself. I am the one true God. There is only one God, and it's me. That's who I am. When he reveals himself to Moses, he later on says, Moses, I'm going to let my glory pass in front of you. You're going to get to see just the nature of who I really am. And as the Lord passes in front of Moses, the Lord says, listen, I am steadfast love. I am faithfulness. I am compassion. See, Israel breaks their covenant with God over and over and over again. They sin, they become jerks, whatever you want to put it. They, they go the other direction. They lose their identity over and over and over again in the book of Judges. And every single time, God says, I'm going to send you a Savior. Because I will not let you cease to exist. My promise to Abraham is going to come true. Somehow, through you people, I am going to bless the world. But reading that from chapter 2, we also notice that there's an inherent problem with saviors. There's a problem with saviors. The problem is the relationship with the Lord that these people had was dependent upon them. Not because God willed it to be so, but because they willed it to be so. Their relationship with God was only as good as the judge who led them. Now there's something in the human spirit in each one of us that desires to be led. We, we might not admit that. And, and, and there are some people who are, are just completely Lone Ranger rogues, but most of, us, most of us respond to leadership, and we do because God's placed it in our heart to want to be led and, and to want to be led to him and by him. It's part of our human nature. We, we, we sang about getting our hearts back to peace with God today. We want to come into relationship with the one who's created us with a purpose. We want somebody to lead us. The problem is, is their relationship with God was dependent upon that leader. It was a cult of personality. So that every time when the judge ceased to be, Israel ceased to serve God. When the leader who points you to God is no longer pointing you to God, that's it. The relationship doesn't go any further. I suspect that this problem with leadership is still apparent in, in, in all types of God's circle today, of all types of the people of God today, that some people's relationship with God only extends as far as the leader that they listen to or the leader that they follow. And it ought not be that way. If their relationship with God was true, it would have gone beyond who the leader is and what the leader brings to the table and gone straight to their identity. I belong to you, God. I serve you, God. I am yours and you are mine. You have called me with a purpose. I am part of a nation of priests who are going to represent you to the world. I'm not going to lose my identity because I lose my leader. It's an important thing for us to recognize, an important thing for us to see. Many people's relationship with God extends only as far as who their parents' relationship was with God. Well, my, my, my parents are cool with God, so I'm sort of cool with God. 
but they never take ownership of it themselves. Some people's relationship with God is, is wrapped up in an older brother or sister in Christ. And once, once again, God desires to raise leaders who point people to Jesus. That's our vision as a church. We want to point people to Jesus who can rewrite every life story. God, God it's not bad to follow someone. It's not b- bad to place yourself under someone to learn from them. But at some point, your relationship with God must progress to the point where it's between you and him. It's between you and God. So you don't fall into this trap of the cult of personality. And over and over and over again, the judge dies and the people leave the Lord. The problem with every judge is that he was mortal, or she was mortal in the case of Deborah. Every judge was mortal. It leaves us with this question as we, as we look at chapter 8 of the story, and, and, and it's a question, it's a statement, it's a thought, but if you're really reading the story, you, you begin to get this concept in your brain that unless God can raise a Savior who is completely obedient to him, and who lives forever, humankind will continue to fall into these traps. I'm going to say that again. Unless God can raise a Savior who's completely obedient to him and who lives forever, people will continue to fall into the trap of losing their identity in God. That statement, that concept, that theme is going to begin in this moment and it's going to come to fruition many weeks from now with someone named Jesus Christ. Now there are consequences of the repetition for Israel in the period of the judges. It's not really so much a cycle as it is a downward spiral. Because the further and further you get from God, the more you rebel, there are consequences. The repetition of that action will push you further and further away from the place that you're supposed to be. One of the quotes that I, when I was growing up that, that my parents loved to say to me is, sin will take you farther than you ever wanted to go, keep you longer than you ever wanted to stay, and make you do things that you never thought you would do. And every time we decide purposefully to take a step away from God and our identity in him and a step closer to the identity that the world has for us or the culture has for us, or just as in, in pure rebellion to God, there are consequences. There are things that happen in our lives that aren't good. And you see this in Judges, and it's, it's illustrated by what you see on the page over there. At the, at the very end, we see Samson. He's the last judge that we talk about. Samson, who we somehow look at as a hero, right? Because Samson was able to best a lion with his bare hands. But as you read the story this week, as you get into this, I want you to ask yourself one question. Besides his strength, does Samson have any admirable qualities? Is Samson leading anybody closer to the Lord? The first judge in the story this week is a man named Othniel. You've never heard of Othniel, have you? (laughs) Well, there's only like three lines about him, but if you have, God bless you. (laughs) You're you're a Bible scholar. (laughs) Othniel did it all right. He was Caleb's younger brother. Remember Caleb, one of the heroes from the last two weeks? He was Caleb's younger brother. He led people closer to God. He he helped to save Israel during his time as a judge. But you see, each and every time, Israel is open to settling for a judge that's a little less moral, that's a little less close to God, that's a little further away from the ideal. 
till they get to a man like Samson. And Samson wasn't fighting that lion. God was. Samson was none other than Israel's existence. He, he represented Israel not being wiped off the face of the map, but he doesn't represent Israel fulfilling their identity and destiny at all. He represents God's brute strength in keeping Israel from being annihilated. But Samson has very few admirable qualities. He's not the type of person that you want to follow. In fact, try to find people following Samson to do any good purpose. There are consequences. You begin to settle for things that are further and further and further from God till you get to a place where you'll even follow someone like Samson. There's infighting between the nation of Israel. God's own people are killing one another. There are consequences. Some might ask the question, well, why doesn't God just start over? Why doesn't he find another nation at this point that will be more good? Because we see a picture, and it's the good picture in Judges. The bad picture is this downward cycle spiral that people will often go in as they walk away from God and towards another identity. The good news is, over and over and over again, God delivers his people. Over and over and over again, God saves his people. And even though they are not deserving, God is continually going to deliver and save them, regardless of their merit. Because he is steadfast love, because he is love, uh, graciousness, because he is faithfulness, because he is compassion. That's the upper story this week. God is not going to let his people be annihilated. He is going to give them chance after chance after chance to respond to his love. What happened in the period of the judges is a cautionary tale. It is meant to be read to the people of God throughout generations that the people of God would say, Ooh, I do not want to fall into the trap of losing that identity that God has laid out for me. The fact that God has created me with great workmanship to do good works, which he prepared in advance for me to do. I am known to God. God knows me. He has a plan for me. He has a purpose for me. He's got a plan for our church. He, he knows us. He's got a plan for us together. He's got a plan for my kids. He knows them. He's got a plan for them. We want to safeguard that identity. We want to safeguard the identity that God has given us so that we don't fall into the trap of losing all that God wants to do in our generation. And all of the answers to the questions as to how we would safeguard that identity are right there in chapter 2. All you have to do is look at what Israel did and do the inverse. And you will safeguard your identity as the person of God that he's designed you to be. Look back at chapter 2, verse 10, and I'm going to make four points to you this morning as we close that will help to bring about how we safeguard our identity so we don't lose ourselves in the midst of a generation that would pull us away from God in the same way that their generation pulled them away from God. Look at verse 10, page 103. After that whole generation of conquerors had been gathered to their ancestors, another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what the Lord had done. 
Oof. The conquerors didn't tell their story. They did not teach their children and their grandchildren what they knew about the Lord and what God had done for their ancestors and for them personally. They did not share the stories. They did not engage the next generation. And folks, one of the key aspects of us being the people that God has designed us to be is to engage the next generation of God's people with his word, with his truth, with his acts, with his deeds, with his salvation. We must begin to own our faith in a way that we're passing it on to those who come after us. Now I want to tell you today that there is an opportunity that we have laid out for you on a silver platter. It's called the story. It's an easy way to engage the next generation and tell them about who God is and the deeds of the Lord. What power there would be in mom or dad or grandma or grandpa sitting down with the children this week and saying, can you believe the Israelites and all the times they rebelled against God? No, I can't believe it. I can't believe it. Just what a mess. Those people, they're crazy. And you look at them and you say, but, but what does this tell us about who God is? That he sends them a savior time after time after time. What does that tell us about who he is? And what does that mean for you? God's steadfast love and his faithfulness, it applies to you too. And let me tell you a story about my life. I'll tell you about a time in my life where God's steadfast love applied to me. Where I was running from God and he sent me a savior. Or he brought me back. He took me from where I was at and put me in a better place. Tell your story to them. Engage them. My daughter walked into the kitchen this week and she looked at me. She says, Dad, why is the light on the stove on? That's a dangerous question because I often leave the stove on and one day I'm going to burn down my house and my wife will kill me. But anyhow, uh, the light on the stove was on because the stove's getting a little older. It doesn't register sometimes when, you know, when it, when it turns off. The, the, the knobs are getting loose. I said, yeah, yeah, I said, that, 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 it's not on, it's, it's, it's safe, it's just sometimes that light doesn't turn off. She says, okay, but I said, let me tell you the story about that stove. And I could look, tell that she was looking at me like, I'm going to hear a stove story. <laughs> I said, when your mom and I moved into this house seven years ago, I said, we, we, we knew we needed to move into a house because we were having more kids and we couldn't stay in our apartment, but we really didn't have the money for that. And we sunk all our money into a down payment, and we bought this place. And immediately, both our cars died, and our refrigerator died, and our stove broke. And when I say immediately, I mean within 30 days. And I said, Sienna, I said, we cried out to God. We needed help. We didn't have anything. And I said, the first thing that happened is, and this was the easy part, I said, there was another another old refrigerator in the basement, and I looked at her, and I said, and I looked at your mom, and I said, maybe this will last us for a year until we can get a new one. Well, that refrigerator makes some funky noises, but it's still running. <laughs> I said, Aunt Sienna, I said, I walked into work the very next week, and, and we didn't have a, a working oven or stove, and someone came up to me, and they said, hey, do you know anybody who needs a brand new stove? And I said, 
I said, yes, I do. How, why are you asking? They said, well, somebody in the congregation has moved in. They wanted sort of a, sort of a, a different model to go in their home, and it was a model home, and they're, just get, they're getting rid of it. I said, yes, I'll take it. <laughs> I said, that's the stove you're looking at right there. And, and then finally, and I tell you the truth, this is, this is not pastoral hyperbole. By the end of that summer, we had been gifted two cars. Two cars. And I said, Sienna, I said, you know, the Lord calls us to give tithes and offerings to the Lord. And I said, that month where everything went wrong, I wrestled with giving money into God's ministry when my household was falling apart. And I said, but God said to do it in his word, so we did. And I said, God saw to our every need. God saw to our every need. I said, I don't want you to think that mommy and daddy are great because we kept giving offerings even when things were going haywire. That's not the point. I said, the point is God's faithfulness is real and his promises are true. And if he tells you he'll take care of you, he will. She looked at me, she said, okay. And she walked away. <laughs> but she'll remember. She'll remember that mom and dad had wheels on their faith. And I told her about it. There's a million other stories I could tell. Okay, that is hyperbole. There's a lot of other stories I could tell her. Why don't you tell your kids and your grandkids about what God's done in you? And if you want to, don't tell it in Christianese. Just talk in language they'll understand. They'll understand. Engage the next generation with what you know about God, folks. What you know about his goodness, what you know about his faithfulness. That moment in time will not return void because you're speaking the very words of the Lord into their life. That's what one generation failed to do. That's what this generation will not fail to do. Take the time to engage your kids with who the Lord is. Second, take ownership of your own faith. Talk about who God is and what he's done. Make your experience with the Lord one step further than coming to church. I am so proud of you for being here this morning. It's not easy to get up and show up to church on a Sunday when you get two days off a week or a day and a half off a week or a day off a week and you say, I'm going to commit to something that's important for me. But I tell you, I'm so proud of you for being here. But my prayer for you would be that when, when, when long after this iteration of VLC, Victory Life Church, uh, changes and morphs and moves into another generation, that your relationship with the Lord would stay as strong as it's ever been. That you don't need another judge to come in and lead you back to God. You're just going to stay there because you've taken ownership. And one of the ways to do that is just making sure even today that you're bowing to the right God. The Israelites were bowing down to Baal and Asherah. What? They had no power. They had not created them. They had not given them hope and a future and a purpose and an identity. But they bowed their lives to a different culture and different morals and different things that had no power and had no ability, no ability to bring about their long-term joy or happiness. Is your life bowed to the right God today? You say, I don't know what you mean, Pastor Matt. I'm here in church. What, what do you mean by that? I mean, what are you pursuing right now? What are you after? What makes you tick? Is it control? 
Is it financial stability like you've never seen before? Is it fun, entertainment? The next trip, the next party, the next get-together? What are you bowing your life to today? Because only one person has created you. Only one person has given you an identity to be his and to work for him. And when you bow your life to the right God, when you bow your life to the right person, I'm not going to tell you that everything begins to work out perfectly. It doesn't. The Bible never promises that. But I do promise you this. You will never regret it. Never regret serving the one who is worthy of your service. And finally, you do that by seeking the ever-living Savior. God sent his son Jesus into this world to be that Savior that obeyed him perfectly and who lives forever for every generation. God sent Jesus into this world to make sure that we had the perfect mediator between him and us. One who was not going to fail morally and one who we could put our trust in forever and ever. Our lives should be centered around the one that God has sent. The one that God has sent to make sure that the help we needed arrived, but the person we needed to safeguard our relationship with God was here and here to stay. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? God, you know every person here by name. You know the hairs on their head. Before they were born, every one of their days, you had numbered. You, O oh Lord, stamped them with your identity. In the image of God, they were created. And you, O oh Lord, stamped them with your purpose. That through Christ Jesus, Ephesians 2.10, they would do the work that you'd prepared in advance for them to do. God, we thank you today that we had that identity sure and full and free in this place. God, we don't need to worry about who we are, but we can rest in who you are and who we are as a result. Today, I'd like to do something just a little bit different. Just a little bit different. 
the Lord may be speaking to you on a number of fronts. I'm just going to ask you, if the Lord's speaking to you, to just take a stand for him today. To stand in the identity that he's called you to. To stand in the safeguarding of that identity. And to say, God, that's what you're speaking to me today. You know, older generations of Christians, they had all types of bowing and standing and clapping and repetition because they knew it was good to get their bodies involved in worship. But if you want to commit something to the Lord today in prayer, I'm just going to have you stand right where you're at. The first call, some of you are standing already. I haven't even told you what to stand for because God has. God bless you. God bless you. He's speaking to you clearly. Speaking to you clearly. Some of you need to stand because it's time for you to engage your children and you're terrified to do it. You need to stand. Say, God, I'm going to engage my kids and my grandkids. I'm going to do it. I don't, I'm not an expert. I'm not some Bible scholar, but I'm going to do it. I'm going to engage them on who you are and what you've done so they will know that faith is real. Some of you need to stand today because you're going to take, you're going to take uh, uh, authority over your life of faith and you're going to say, I'm not going to rely on anybody anymore. I'm going to, I'm going to make this real between me and God. And I, I recognize that I need to go one more step in my relationship with God. You need to stand and say, God, that's between me and you today. I'm going to do that. I'm closing my eyes because God and you are having a moment. I don't need to have it with you. But God, I'm going to, I'm going to take ownership of my faith today. It's not just going to be about church attendance. I'm going to go whatever step you're calling me further. Some of you today, and like I said, my eyes are closed and I want every head bowed and every eye closed. Today in this place, I recognize that my life is bowed to something that isn't you. I'm after something. I'm pursuing something that has nothing to do with my eternal happiness. And I want to have my life, God, centered in you. You need to stand right now and say, God, I'm taking a stand right now. Taking a stand right now. I'm not going to bow down to that anymore. My life is yours. My life is yours. My life is yours. Finally today, there's one more group that needs to stand in this place. And you're the ones, you've been around church for a while now. And you know that you know that you know that God is real and he loves you. But you have never accepted his son Jesus into your life and asked him to be your Lord and Savior. There are already a lot of people in this room who are standing why don't you join him today and say, today I accept Jesus into my heart and I will serve him all my days. Stand right now. Don't miss the moment between you and God. Your heart is pounding and you know that today is the day to make your declaration of faith. You are going to serve the one who died for you from this point forward. Praise the Lord. Thank you, God. God, I pray over those who have stood today, the ones who have stood because they are going, you've spoken something to them. It might not even be the points that I made, but they just stood because they know you're speaking. God, I pray over them that by your spirit and by your power, they would embrace the full identity that you have called them to in the name of Jesus Christ. I pray for those who are terrified to engage the next generation. Lord, give them faith to step out. Give them faith. Lord, to say what needs to be said, do what needs to be done, that the next generation would know of your deeds and your goodness and your love. 
I pray for those who need to make, make their faith their own today, God, that they would take the next step that you're calling them to. Help them to move into everything that you have for them, God. Prove to them just how much you love them and just how real you are. I pray for those who are repenting today because they bowed their life to something that isn't of you. God, I pray that the forgiveness that you displayed from Genesis to Revelation would be real to them today. Display your forgiveness. Help them to know that they are a child of God, that they're not forsaken, that guilt is no longer theirs, that shame is no longer theirs, and you will set them free by the power of your spirit. And I pray finally today for those who are accepting Jesus Christ for the first time into their hearts. I pray, Lord, that you would come alive in their hearts even today. Make yourself known to them. Forgive them of their sins, Lord. Give them a new path and a new way. Make them people who are as born again and ready for a new life in Jesus Christ. Let's pray with those people today who are making that declaration for the first time. And you can all who know Jesus repeat after me, Lord Jesus, I place my life in your hands. Forgive me of all the wrongs I've ever done. Clean out my life and make me new. Secure my identity today as a child of God who loves you and serves you and who is loved by you and has a home in heaven because of your good gifts. Bless me now, Lord, with your spirit, your presence, your wisdom, and my future. <laughs>